0: Across the city and South Cambridgeshire On FM, digital and your mobile Cambridge 105 Radio I'm going to read you the menu, it's fantastic
1: So we get better flavour because of the fen soil
2: I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before I think
3: I shouldn't have said almonds, they don't make it from almonds
2: (laughs) so you've got this big sticky mess
3: when you start off.
2: Pizza pots pies.
3: My wife's cakes are selling up
4: hot cakes. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you.
2: The time is right for this sort
5: of thing. Food is everything. <laughs> Cambridge is right
2: for this sort of thing.
1: What's it like? Can dishes?
4: <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with Alan Alda and me, Matt Bentman. Autumn has kicked in, and with it, plenty of exciting food and drink news and stories.
5: Yeah, it's extraordinary how vibrant the Cambridge area food and drink scene is. There is so much going on. Uh, And last week saw the food and craft fair on Parker's piece, and Matt went along to chat with some of the producers there, and we'll hear them in a minute. And I've been finding out about a really unusual and fun event that's happening soon at two of Cam's Cuisine's restaurants, and that's on today's programme too.
4: Yeah, and with harvest time beginning, we have some ideas for onions, and a feature about Cambridge Orchards. We'll also have plenty of local food and drink news, as well as our regular guide to where to find free food in Cambridge right now. We also have a roundup of local chef jobs as well, and a quick look at what's been happening in social media this morning. So let's get started. And the Autumn Food and Craft Fair is where we're going to begin. It took place on Parker's Peace last weekend. It hosted dozens of food stalls, and we decided to cherry-pick a few exhibitors to display the variety of foods at this annual event. Now, everything you'll hear, you can easily order online. Uh, My first time at this fair was back in 2010, I think, and it's, it's always been interesting what new offerings there are and also what's new from the regulars.
6: Yes. Oh, lemon raisin, that's your favorite. Oh, that is like Oh, I didn't spot that one.
4: <laughs> Dozens of stalls line this food tent.
6: One of the... Two of those, please.
4: And visitors pack the place out all weekend.
6: Two samosas. Coming yes, right up with... Uh...
4: Pies, wine, chocolate, cheese. It's delicious. Variety is the spice of life.
7: Good old British cheese. That's what
8: it's all about, ladies and gentlemen.
4: And my first stop is a spicy stall.
8: We are mighty spice. This is the Chilal Company, started from 1940. It's a recipe from 1940, passed on to second generation. And this production is done in India, and they are all mixtures in one packet. It has everything in it. Black pepper, ginger, garlic, turmeric, chili powder, coriander, fennel seeds, oil, onion, tomato, all in it. Just marinate with meat, add water, cook it, all done for you. Basically no shopping and no chopping, just the spice mix, very authentic since 1940.
4: A range of attractive curry paste packs that let you whip together a really perfect flavoursome curry at speed. And one of their most popular in the range is the butter chicken curry
8: paste pack. Our butter chicken is a very fast selling, and once they try butter chicken, then they keep buying the other ones. And we have so many repeat guests all over UK, which makes us, you know, confident to sell more and more to tell the new customers about our product. They are in pre kit form, whole spice mix for 30 second tablespoon of oil. Add the marinated meat to chicken after 30 seconds. Add the dry garam masala after 30 seconds. Add water, cook it, all done for you. If you're not a chef, you can become a chef in 90 seconds. And our website is themightyspice.com.
4: There are so many micro-businesses around the country making a living from taking their wares to farmers' markets and events like these. Many of them started during COVID.
9: We're one of them.
4: That's Norfolk rum.
9: We are actually having to educate an awful lot of people who don't like rum because of bad experiences they've had over the years. Like myself, when I was a student, I used to drink rum and Coke and rum and black. And it was always a navy strength rum, and it was actually appalling to drink on its own. So you actually put something with it that gave it
4: some drinkability. Norfolk rum's product is at the top end of the quality rum scale.
9: So when you introduce them to a handcrafted rum at the top range stuff, it's a completely different experience.
4: On their stool, they sell four types of rum and five types of rum liqueur.
9: We have two spice rums, we have a honey and vanilla which should be served at room temperature it's very mellow and, and quite sweet once the temperature comes up you wouldn't put ice with it and then our biggest seller which is our dark spice rum, which we've recently received a national award for anyone who wasn't able to come to this event all they need to do is google norfolk rum the entire range is on there with prices and normally you'll get it within a couple of days of ordering.
4: Directly across from the rum was this stall.
6: We are yumyumtreefudge.com. The tree is because we use natural birch tree sap in our keto range. The cube on our tree is because we cut our fudge into cubes and yum yum because fudge is yummy. Based in Suffolk, we only use high quality chocolate unlike traditional fudge which is high sugar low in dairy we've reduced the sugar and increased the dairy coupled with the high quality chocolate that we use leaving a really creamy smooth texture when you have our fudge do you like lemon
8: madam i do yes
6: i've got lemon curd Would you like to try that that's lovely Mm. a little bit of sharpness which i like Basically, the company started off making a fudge that's gluten-free, nut-free and egg-free, so it's suitable for vegetarians. And then slowly, what we've done is is we've evolved and we've gone into providing a keto range, which is no added sugar, which can also be used for people with diabetes, and also our plant-based range.
4: There's a wide variety of flavours here, right? I mean, every row is a different flavour.
6: Our chilli chocolate fudge sort of catches people off guard because you get sweetness of fudge and then the hit of the chocolate afterwards. And the one that goes really, really well here is our chocolate, orange and caramel.
4: And there was even a stall to visit when it's time to put the kettle on.
2: Uh, My name is Victoria Roth and I'm founder of Tea Apothecary, a loose leaf tea business based in Cambridge. I am always surprised about which teas do the best. It's almost comical sometimes how something might be lying dormant for a while and then it just shoots off the shelves. You, you think, what is in the air? But, yeah, uh, lychee flour has gone well today, which is our really floral green tea that's our bestseller. Tucker's Chapel, Cambridge Breakfast, all the usual suspects.
4: Now, here I am at a stall. Uh, this is a chocolate stall, and what's caught my attention here is that this is chocolate says proudly made in Maldon-Essex by a family team.
10: And it's called tempered chocolate, tempered spelt T-E-M-P-R-D. We've been going three years... We've got a variety of 16 flavours. We chose to do a chunky chocolate bar, really, something opposite to what the market trend was, which is all these smaller bars. We've gone for a 200-gram bar as our main stay bar. This year, in the beginning of September, we've launched. We've added two more flavours, which are a dark ginger and a banoffee pie in milk. And the next year, we're looking to extend that again into a slightly different range. It's hard work though, all I'll say, you, I wouldn't put anyone off doing their own business. Please give it a go. If you want to do something, do it. Don't put it off, just go for it, because we're enjoying every minute of it.
11: What do you recommend? What's your best seller?
10: Sea salt is, is our best seller. Okay. Our new one is a banoffee. My favourite is coconut caramel. Thanks yeah, for your support.
8: Thanks very
7: Thank much. much. Hello, my name's Peter, the cheese and pie Parma. It's the Autumn Food Festival. We've been frequenting it for quite a number of years now. We're purveyors of wonderful cheeses and we've got our own range of uh, baked pies, which we've been making for 24 years. Obviously, today, we do things more like truckles, things encased in wax. For instance, we've got the the wonderful, beautiful Lancashire Black Bomb. It's a five-time multi-award-winning cheese. It's shaped in the shape of a Lancashire Black Bomb from the Lancashire Fusiliers from years ago. So if you can imagine the old black bomb with the fuse core coming out the top of it, it's exactly as as it sounds, guys. So it's a two-year extra mature Lancashire, so it's creamy and crumbly with a fantastic tang to it. We got through about 9,000 of these at Christmas, and it's still made in an artisan fashion, so the guys struggle to keep up with the orders that we give them year on year. During Covid was a great time for us as a business. We doubled in size during Covid because there were a lot of people didn't want to frequent the supermarkets because everyone was freaked out because of what was happening with Covid. They didn't want to be in in enclosed spaces with lots of people. And that was a great time. But as soon as the supermarkets opened back up again, unfortunately, a lot of the loyalty and custom that we brought up, people just reverted back to the supermarkets again. I've noticed personally that a lot of markets have dwindled. Businesses have gone out of business. There's been a lot of artisan dairies that have gone out of business. I mean, I think there was something like 100 went down last year. And especially things that we're seeing with the economy at the moment, i.e. the cost of living crisis, fuel prices. People are being more careful about what they're spending. But they're not necessarily getting a great deal from the supermarkets either. The decline in the markets going on in the local communities and towns, it's like a vicious cycle. If we don't get the people coming out to the markets to frequent the market then traders won't come. If traders aren't there, then people won't turn up. So it's got to be a bit of a push and pull from both ends to keep all these great community markets that we've had for hundreds and hundreds of years to keep going. That's just my personal opinion as a a humble trader.
4: Next up is another humble trader.
7: Hello, we are the Bubbly Bandits and we're at the Autumn Shopping Fair in Parker's Peace, Cambridge.
4: The Bubbly Bandits, a mother and son team keen on telling everybody about Durello wines, which is like an Italian champagne.
2: Basically, we just turned a passion into a job. We don't have a shop, and that's actually a choice we made. We want to be on the road.
10: What is this lifestyle
4: like for you? Do you, do you enjoy it?
2: Well, we actually love it. We actually go around in a van, the Bandit's van.
12: So we yeah. always wineries in Italy, Vicenza particularly. Most of our wines come from there. But yeah, it's really I'm fun Verona, lifestyle.
2: Yeah. The main wines we have are from the veneto region between verona the city of verona vicenza lake Garda, and yeah we literally travel backwards and forwards from italy picking out the wine we do have a criteria though we tend to focus on small to museum side wineries family run preferably and we know the winemakers the wines are all organic when we talk about Durello, which is the wine we're selling, and we talk about volcanic soil, so that means that the grapes are rich in minerality. Sometimes it's like walking on the moon because the colours of the earth, of the terroir, change dramatically. You go from red to dark brown to black when it's basaltic, and the actual Durella grape is very rich in acidity, so it's the perfect grape to make an amazing fizz. Hate you.
4: Now you can take a step out of the food marquee and make your way across to the cookery demonstration tent. In between, you'll see singer Nick Lowe from Barry strumming a medley of hits, which provides a good background to Great British Bake Off finalist Ian Cumming and his cookery demonstration on Sticky Toffee Pudding.
1: Uh, dates. Lots and lots of lovely dates. Oh, Nigel, have you got a sip out there as well, please? Sorry, you just wanted to go back and relax and have a cup of tea.
4: I managed to speak to him briefly as the public was trying out his cooking.
1: So yeah, this whole weekend's been quite fun. Coming into the middle of Cambridge, well, cooking in a tent again, eight years ago now, having been on Bake Off. Um, but today was a real sort of comfort zone cooking of mini steamed sticky toffee puddings. Yeah, we after I finished the demo, then we did have a sort of nice look around and everything. There were some, some quite nice looking Indian snacks as well.
10: As alu, tikki, mashed
1: potato, green yeah. chilies, red peppers, and bread. It's quite tempting, actually, especially after doing sweet things. It's quite tempting seeing all the savoury things for sale. I particularly, saw they had some Vacherin cheese, um, which my daughter would not enjoy at all, but I really enjoy that sort of deep savoury notes of a fine cheese. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so you see, there was plenty of great stuff to find at this event.
6: Uh, tempered the, chocolate.
3: Yeah, I, I always buy that when I see it.
6: <laughs> do you like rhubarb? I do.
3: Gifts <laughs> that keeps, keeps on giving, there we oh, are.
6: I know, I'll bring it back and get a top-up later. <laughs> like olive oils and vinegars. French organic lavender, do you want to go for that one?
8: But this is a fantastic, this thing. You try one, and if you like it, come back tomorrow and buy all
4: even if it may be something so familiar to Parker's piece that you become a little bit blind to it. First time visiting the fair, or have you been here a few years?
12: We live here, so we forget it's happening, then wander out under the Parker's piece and have a nice surprise.
4: I think you'd soon miss it if it wasn't there.
10: Thank
8: you very
11: much. Oh my God, it's really good. I like it.
8: But still, I have a good energy. I enjoy doing this one other one can't remember <laughs> okay
2: thank you very very
8: much enjoy
4: yeah that was a nice weekend and You know, this might be some helpful information as well. The Autumn Food and Craft Fair, it's organised by Charlie Owen Events, and they've got a mailing list, so you can always keep informed about their upcoming fairs and festivals, such as the Essex Autumn Shopping Fair in Braintree this weekend. There's plenty of food and drink stalls there too. So if that interests you, just head over to charlieowenevents.co.uk and uh, sign up to their mailing list, or if you like, you can even follow them on Instagram.
5: And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app and that exists so that people's or businesses surplus food doesn't go to waste.
4: Yeah, that's right and today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that uh, Christelle by Cherry Hinton Hall now she's got a selection of vegan packaged sandwiches like uh, falafel and hummus or tuna and sweet corn filling they're all available for pickup right now a cell or chell on Hill. Hills Road has a box of loose-leaf Hungarian tea and half a big jar of dried chrysanthemums for tea as well. He's got those to give away, whilst Julia, who lives next to the train station, has got a packet of beefy stew-flavoured organic baby food up for grabs, which is very handy if you're a baby or robocop and finally cavita on mill road near the graveyard has a small collection of things to give away Uh, mixed bean salads ground all spice nutmeg fennel seeds Uh, this is a i guess it's a kind of a small and somewhat eclectic range of items on oleo today but that's what i saw in my snapshot this morning before we went on air some days can have more than others you know and i was told recently actually that oleo can get a lot more active once all the students are back
5: Oh, can it really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. And the same goes for Too Good To Go as well. Right, yes, and Too Good To Go, in case you don't know, <laughs> is another free app, and that has unsold food from restaurants and shops, and it's often at less than half price. Uh, and rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home, and that is instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading.
4: Okay, on to our first news break now for Saturday the 23rd of September, and with schools back and universities about to be back, we begin with something educational, food classes.
5: Yeah, Alex, who runs Bagel Box at the Cambridge Market, has two classes coming up where you can learn how to make and bake bagels, and you'll also get two DIY bagel kits and the six bagels you will have made to take home. And the classes are on the 11th of November and the 10th of December, and they Take place at market house in cambridge's market square there's a morning session on each day at 85 pounds per head or an evening session at 95 pounds the main difference seems to be that in the morning you get a cup of tea or coffee and in the evening a glass of fizz but anyway you can book via the bagel box website
4: now there's some interesting classes on cooking indian food available they're held at namaste village in castle street The class is on the 8th of October. It's about doses and the chutney, sambar and potato filling that go with them. Tickets are £75 and the classes begin at 9am and end around noon. There's also classes on the 12th of November and the 10th of December, dealing with other Indian foods.
5: Yeah, I've always wanted to make doses. I just think they're incredible. I often go to one of the places in Drummond Street near Euston Station because they do doses. But I was telling an Indian person about it and she said that the best ones are at Bobby's in Leicester. So naturally, I went to Bobby's in Leicester, and they were very, very good. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, if I go to this class, I can make my own. (laughs) They won't be as good. Anyway, back to the news. On the 22nd of November, Flourish is hosting a fermenting workshop. Uh, That's from 1 till 3 p.m. at their farm in Hildersham. And you can now take the
4: WSET Level 1 Award in wine in the comfort of your own home. It takes place across two evenings the 19th and the 26th of october from 6:30 till 9 pm so yeah just a few hours there your study materials and wines are sent to your home and the course takes place via zoom details are on the association of wine educators website and we have the cambridge wine academy to thank for that information and if you're ready to take the level 3 course well you've guessed it you just contact the cambridge wine academy
5: on now to some dinner events currently taking bookings. The Café Foy Supper Club happens on the 5th of October and you can book for a time between 6 and 8pm. and The menu includes olives, focaccia and burrata as a starter, then spaghetti with clams, mussels and prawns with mozzarella, garlic bread and an orange and fennel salad and then uh, to finish tiramisu. The cost is £30. Email caféfoy at gmail.com to reserve a table. Bookings are being taken for Hidden by Pudinis, uh, their next Italian supper club. That's on the
4: 10th of November in Willingham, and the cost is £50. There's also their october supper club with chef ben Saulston taking bookings too and that will be on the 28th of october
5: and corinne paillet of gourmandise has her final bistro clandestine of the year on the 18th of november details are on her social media and you can also subscribe to her newsletter where you'll hear about her other news and events okay and we'll be having some more news later and now, on to something really unusual. It's a meal at two of Cam's Cuisine's restaurants, Millworks in Newnham Road and the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley. And the meals are in partnership with the charity CamSite, which supports people with impaired vision. I spoke to Karen Olden of CamSite and Ollie Thane of Cam's Cuisine about the event Dine in the Dark.
12: Dine in the Dark will be a unique experience for people to come and have some fine dining and experience that as somebody who is visually impaired. Because what we're asking is that they come and uh, have their meal and are actually blindfolded throughout their courses. They may want to come into the event and you know be blindfolded for the whole of it. They may wish to um, you know take their blindfolds off in between courses. Um, but we really want to you know enable sort of the local community. To to experience, you know, life of, of somebody who is visually impaired or at least, you know, an element of that.
5: Presumably restaurants are pretty difficult places for people who have low vision or who are blind.
12: It can be. Um, You know, what we find is that a lot of people that are visually impaired tend to sort of stick within their community and tend to utilise the venues that they know. And, you know, there's so many barriers obviously for people who have visual impairment or who have disabilities, you know, and obviously how they're going to be able to be seated and, you know, what the venue sort of parameters are, you know, it's a huge huge consideration for for people, um, you know, who are visually impaired, who want to, you know, enjoy being sociable and enjoy, you know, going out for a meal.
5: It's all part of mental health, isn't it, really?
12: It is, because obviously, you know, the more barriers that people have who have, you know, some sort of disability, the more that they are sort of, you know, confined to their home. And, you know, we want to really break that barrier. And I think partnering with Cam's Cuisine, you know, will enable us to highlight, um, you know, some of the factors that we have to consider here.
5: What about menus? I've never seen a braille menu.
12: Well, um, braille is used, um, but not actually probably as much as people think. Um, technology, um, as we know, has moved on dramatically. Um, and for people who have visual impairment, um, there are some fantastic apps that actually utilise a camera and will actually then uh, use a voice um, app um, that will actually read out menus and signs and all those sorts of things. So. Technology is an absolute godsend to, to people who have visual impairment.
5: That's extraordinary. So, Ollie, uh, Karen, on behalf of Campsite, ab- approached you, and, uh, and you were keen to, to do it.
13: Absolutely, yes, we've, I mean, we've got a good history now of, of work in the community. Uh, via our camps cuisine community fund, we raise about sort of seventy thousand a year that we we put to good causes. This is something outside of that, but it, no, it was the moment Karen came to me via site and suggested that we did this night. Yeah, I think it sounds it sounds a lovely thing to do. It sounds quite fun. It's different and hopefully raise some awareness and hopefully raise some money.
5: And you're giving over two of your, your restaurants to us, but but not fully giving them over. Are you? Well, to be honest, we'll see how busy the nights are.
13: Um, hopefully, they'll be really busy, and yes, the restaurant will be fully taken over by people joining the dine in the dark experience. We will wait and see, but potentially, if they're only, you know, if it's if there's less people, then we'll just put a section of the restaurant towards the, towards the evening. But hopefully, full. And the more the more people come, the more money we raise for, for campsite too which is nice have you decided on a menu yet or we have but we don't want to put that out into the public domain because we want people to be able to guess what they're eating that's all part of the (laughs) fun of the evening so there's going to be sort of canapé style starter you get three canapés as a starter so you can lots of different flavours and different sort of small dishes there and then you choose a meat a vegetarian or a fish course and then similarly three puddings each but sort of canapé smaller style yeah and that will give people plenty of opportunity to try and guess what they're eating and try and experience potentially what it's like not knowing necessarily what you're eating yeah
5: have you ever tried this yourself never i mean the blindfolded <laughs> eating this and i've never
13: no, tried I this. no i haven't no i haven't and uh, you know it's highlight- it's highlighting something really really pretty important um, well it is because yeah. i
5: mean you, th- you think about things like Something simple like reaching for a glass of wine. I mean, wine glasses are quite easy to knock over in the easiest of circumstances, aren't they?
12: It is, and that is something I think we're going to have to consider on the night, it those is, sorts yeah. of things. But, you know, they are things that if you have visual impairment, um, you know, this is something that you cannot get away from. And, you know, again, it's, it's just highlighting, you know, how difficult it is, you know, if you, if you can't see and if you're trying to just go about your normal, you know, life we all have our meals, we all go out and we don't even think about the the sorts of things that we do hope that, you know, people will sort of take away from the night.
5: Moving your wine glass in order to reach your water glass is something that we just do.
12: Absolutely, I mean, maybe we need to consider taking red wine off the menu. (laughs)
5: No, no, let's keep it on. Let's keep it on and work through it. I think we'll work around it. I think that's important. What about your staff, Ollie? This is, you know, this is quite a, a big thing. Is there any anxiety? Will any training be given? Yeah, I don't see any
13: anxiety. I think people, our guys will be really look forward to the evening, actually. Um, Karen's very generously offered some training for the for the teams in the afternoon prior to the event. And that will really, really help. I think it will raise awareness within the staff as well. And, and going forward in the future, you yeah. know, if we, you know, if people who are visually impaired are coming to our restaurants, which must happen probably more often than we think. And if we've got some skills there and some knowledge, then that, that's really useful.
5: Uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so the date is the 12th of October. So the venues are Millworks and the Three Horseshoes. Yeah,
13: yeah. We've, sorry, sorry to interrupt. We've gone Millworks because it's in the town. Um, and three horseshoes, because it's just sort of two or three miles outside Cambridge. so but both very
5: accessible venues. And booking is open now, presumably. Booking's open now and is essential. Right. okay, yeah, and, and you must book. You yeah. Book via the cams cuisine website. indeed. Yeah. And specify whether you want meat, fish, or vegetarian not or is a, that necessary? not at
13: this stage. Yeah. Um, once the booking's made, we'll contact you. Uh, for the on the uh, so so you can pre-order on the evening.
5: But Karen, what is CAMSight? What what does it try and what does it do?
12: So CAMSight is actually one of the oldest charities in Cambridge. Uh, we were actually launched in 1912. We support um, people throughout Cambridgeshire who are visually impaired, and we can support people right from their first diagnosis and that first initial loss. Um, of, of their site uh, we provide emotional support we help people with benefits concessions you know all of these things can be extremely overwhelming if you've lost your eyesight very quickly um, you know there's lots and lots of considerations that you have to have we have a fantastic technology centre where people can come in they can talk to our specialists we can talk to them about talking microwaves we can talk to them about walking canes uh, we can talk to them about you know lots and lots. Of of different pieces of equipment that are out there that just enable them magnifiers lighting is really important we have support groups uh, we hold activities so we have weekly yoga that takes place at the YMCA here in Cambridge Um, you know it's 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 a great support network the other but we know as a charity that there are people that are likely to be sat at home and they are not get, getting support that they need. They're feeling quite frightened to go out and we really, really want to change that. And working with people like Cam's Cuisine, you know, it really enables us to get out into the community and just spread that word.
5: Yeah, what valuable work campsite uh, does as well. And £10 from each meal on the night goes to help them continuous. And I'm amazed by some of the things Karen said. A menu reading up. It mm. just reads the menu to you. That's extraordinary. It's have you clever. come across that? No, but I have heard
4: of um, things when it comes to people who are partially sighted. There's a lot more opportunity to take advantage of smart speakers and things like that. You know, things where they would have had to rely ah. on third-party devices to get yeah. their information.
13: Yeah, now yeah, you can yeah. just
5: say, hey Alexa, hey Siri, give me the news. Yeah. That sort of thing. Of course, yeah. But the talking microwave, you know. Yeah. I wonder what, the, what does the talking microwave say? Does it say things like... Well, I wouldn't eat that. <laughs> Just to say, I think you've had enough already. <laughs> Have so, you, you haven't got a talking microwave. Have you heard of them? I've got someone who talks like a microwave. <laughs> no,
4: I imagine it is what it says on the tin. It must, it must read out exactly what you... There must be like braille buttons, and then it works out whether you are cooking, defrosting, so on. Yeah. And, and it gives a readout of the time as you turn a dial, maybe. Mm, well, I don't know. We
5: ought to find out. It's good, we? isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Right, anyway, the date of the meal, again, is the 12th of October. The venues are Millworks and the Three Horseshoes. You book on the Cam's Cuisine website. And many thanks to Ollie Thane and Karen Olden for telling us all about it.
4: Yeah. Now we're coming up to our break, so we will see you in a couple of minutes.
5: Cambridge
13: 105 Radio.
0: Sunday on Cambridge 105 Radio, former City Council leader Lewis Herbert explores the intricacies of the local planning system. Lewis is joined by planning advisor Peter Studdart and Queen Edith's councillor Sam Davies.
7: We live in South Camps, we've got about six layers now of
1: planning activity, none of which is actually that effective.
12: What we see in Cambridge though is because of the rate of growth, it feels incessant and so a kind of systems
0: problem is compounded by a volume problem. Cambridge Challenges, Midday Sunday on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen again at cambridge105.co.uk So it wasn't the hottest of summers. You probably didn't water the lawn or fill up the paddling pool as much as last year. But here at Cambridge Water, we still need to say a big thank you. In July and August... We asked you to can for the can, ditch your hose for a watering can, keeping millions of litres in local streams. And you did it! Despite the soggy summer, Cambridgeshire residents still use hundreds of thousands of litres less every day. It's an amazing result. Now, with hot, sunny weather forecast for September, we're asking you to can for the cam this month too. A hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour, water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply local chalk streams including the Cam can for the Cam and you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come and while you're doing your bit we'll carry on doing ours finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible can for the Cam ditch the hose this September Cambridge 1
5: And welcome back to Flavour here on Cambridge 105 Radio. And on now to some more local food and drink news, beginning with some market news.
4: Yeah, this month's Gransden's Farmers Market is tomorrow from 9 till 1pm and next month's will take place on the 22nd of October.
5: The market is held at the Village Hall in Little Gransden, and it has plenty of food producers. North Stowe's weekly market is on Sundays from 10 till 4. And there will be a pop-up market in Granchester in a week's time. And food-related stallholders include Sweet Pea Market Garden, Bubbly Bandits, who we heard earlier, Small and Green, Coffee aficiona, Hit Wrap, who will have their Hong Kong food van outside, and Sourdough Hub and Cambridge Honey. And it will take place in Grantchester Village Hall next Saturday. That's the 30th of September from 10.30 until 3.30.
4: Uh, away from markets, Malloy's Craft Fish Butchery has closed in Station Place in Cambridge and it's moved to Ben's Yard in Ely, where it's uh, going to sit alongside Malloy's Craft Butchery. It'll be open Tuesday to Saturday, 9 to
5: 5. Work is now well underway at Fogito's in Mill Road, where reopening is not far off, and we hope to speak with Nick from Figitos in the next programme. Hot Numbers is celebrating National Coffee Week, which is in October, by holding an, av- an
4: evening with its roastery team in Shepreth with chocolatier Mama Bonbon. Bon. It's £25 a head, and more details can be found on the Hot Numbers website.
5: Finn Boys is closed from the 8th to the 18th of October while they all go to California for a break. Sample the wines, the seafood, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, to work for Finboys. Mind you, they do have a few vacancies, which you can hear about in our job section, and they'll reopen on October the 19th. Meanwhile, look out for their up-and-coming tuna nights, where they'll be taking a whole tuna and selling tuna dishes from it over a couple of nights. And that's to celebrate the tuna caught off the southwest coast of England by small fishing votes.
4: Mm. Areno, the Japanese food truck, is closing at the end of the month, and that is to help owner and operator Muz Koderi recover from a back injury sustained earlier in the year. It may return in the future, we certainly hope so, and we will have more news later
5: meanwhile much harvesting is going on at the moment allotment holders are getting in their green beans they're beginning to harvest their squashes there's loads of tomatoes about and also onions so here's some tips about how to enjoy onions from local chefs rosie sykes and tristan welch with an introduction to onions by friend of flavor liz budd i don't
0: like snails or toads or-
10: Onions are part of the group of plants called alliums, many of which are poisonous to cats and dogs. Other members of this group include garlic, leeks and chives. Hugh Fernley Whittingstall says that while onions are most frequently used as a foundation flavouring in stocks, stews and sauces, they can also be roasted as their natural sugars caramelise deliciously. Onions can take at least an hour of slow cooking in a covered pan and longer if they're part of a soup or stew. If you keep the heat gentle, they become sweet, complex and delicious. However, care is needed and he goes on to say, the one thing you must guard against is burning. These vegetables can blacken quickly because of their sugar content. And as soon as the caramelization goes too far, from golden brown to almost black, the results are bitter.
11: I just got some New Seasons onions, which were absolutely beautiful. They still had their long green tails on and i just roasted them in the oven with some cider some sage and a tiny bit of stock and some olive oil or butter uh just cook them really really slowly and they become beautifully caramelized um and then there are so many things you can do with them you could put them on a tart with some anchovy you just put them on on toast with some lovely cheese they just um they become very rich and special but the other really nice thing to do which I do more often with red onions is slice them quite thickly and then marinate them in lemon juice and salt and they'll go really vibrant pink and and slice them as a whole round and try and keep them as whole as you can and then put them onto a griddle pan or the barbecue absolutely lovely on the barbecue and then they are really lovely in a salad with some tomatoes or some griddle courgette or they they make a really nice accompaniment to many, many things.
0: I don't like shoes that pinch your toes or people who squirt you with the garden hose but,
3: mm, I love onions. Onions, my nemesis, but actually the building block of so many great recipes. One of my really, really uh, favourite things with an onion is just to finely slice it caramelise it in a frying pan and, um, and that's by adding a touch of olive oil in a hot pan, add the onions to it, pinch of salt straight away and then um, if you've got any thyme or any hard herbs, pop them in now and then and lower the heat in the pan and gently caramelise them away and that's, that, 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 that requires a bit of patience. Let it take half an hour, 45 minutes to caramelise at least and when you're happy with the caramelization of it, if they start to caramelise a little bit too much on the bottom of the pan, add a touch of water in the beginning but towards the end of it add a splash of vinegar because that just really lifts it all up. It's quite delicious. Then, if you take those caramelised onions, you spread it on some puff pastry. And you know what? Yeah, okay, we make puff pastry here in the restaurant, but at home, we just roll out some pre-rolled puff pastry, spread it with caramelised onions, bake it in the oven. My goodness, and do you know what my, my boys really like, actually, is some brie broken on top, so it just melts on top. Caramelised onion tart within, well, within probably about 45, 50 minutes, However, minimal effort, you can have at least half a bottle of wine in that time as well.
5: well what good ideas uh, and the music there was by susan christie and was called i love onions no surprise there it was a big hit in 1967 and do you love onions Alan? <laughs> well i do and rosie and tristan were talking particularly about long slow cooking of onions and mm. i've recently very recently actually made a ratatouille because i've just been reading bill buford's book called dirt about his time learning how to cook in the restaurants of Lyon, mm. and there's lots of little tips that he sort of picks up and gives in his book, actually. And one of them is that when you make a ratatouille, each of the ingredients you should sauté separately, whereas I think most people, certainly me, have always sautéed them all together. But he says, he's picked up in the restaurants of Lyon, that if you cook them separately, then the ratatouille is much nicer. And, of course, that includes the onions. So the onions had a very long, slow cook mm. and it was delicious I must say it was very nice although the onions were extraordinarily sweet and I thought maybe a bit too sweet but that's, that's, that's not for me yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Well before we leave the subject of onions we would just like to mention Gareth Griffin of Guernsey his onion entry in the Harrogate show recently weighed almost
5: 20 pounds That's amazing <laughs> that's isn't the it? weight of two or three young babies isn't it? Yeah.
4: LAUGHTER <laughs> Well, uh, moving on to our final news break for today now, and we'll begin in Congratulations Corner. And in there, we can see Chong Chong Bo of Amphora on Devonshire Road. Now, Enfora has been shortlisted in three categories for the Decanter Awards. That's Best Newcomer, Best Specialist Retailer for Central and Eastern Europe, and Best Wine Buyer. So, many congratulations to her.
5: And also congratulations to Cambridge Wine Merchants. They're shortlisted for regional Best Regional Multi-Store, Central England, Best Specialist Retailer, Champagne and Sparkling, Best Specialist Retailer, Sweet Fortified, and also Great Britannia is uh, shortlisted for Best Specialist Retailer, England and Wales. So many congratulations. And the awards will be announced on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. So fingers crossed for them.
4: Good luck. And that leads very nicely into our wine
5: news. Yeah, Amphora's Evening of South African Wines with Master of Wine Tim Atkin on the 24th of September, i.e. tomorrow is sold out. Uh, On Wednesday the 27th of September, there's a tasting of Greek wines with no Retzina. Uh, That's £35. The wines of Piemonte are featured on the 4th of October and the price there is £38. And on the 11th of October, there's a tasting of Chardonnays from Burgundy, Australia, South Africa, Brazil, and that too is £38. The evenings begin at 8 o'clock, and you can book on the Amphora website. Tastings at the wine rooms in Mill
4: Road are on the 28th of September. Wines from Catina Zapata voted the world's most admired wine brand, and with a vineyard at 5,000 feet, which must be one of the highest vineyards in the world. The tasting runs from 7 till 8.30pm at a cost of £35. On the 5th of October, Chris Wilson, the winemaker at Gutter & Stars, will be talking at the wine rooms about, and leading, the tastings of his new vintages. That costs £30, and on the 12th of October, there is a detailed look at the wines of pessac Leognan in Bordeaux. And the wine flights for this month at the wine rooms give a choice of Italian or Spanish wines, three in
5: each case to have at your table. Steve Huffington's Cambridge Wine Academy is hosting tastings once a month in Cherry Hinton Road. There's a Tour de France on the 4th of October with eight wines. That begins at 7.15 and there'll be slides, lots of information, plenty of wine-related trivia questions and fun throughout the evening. The last two evenings have sold out, so early booking is advised. And finally in the wine section, James
4: Thorne of Cambridge-based Thorne Wines has begun posting his recommendations on Instagram.
5: Right, continuing our theme of harvest, we've talked about onions, apples and pears are of course being harvested at the moment and Tom Williamson, co-author of Orchard Recipes from Eastern England, talked to Flavor a while ago about orchards in and around Cambridge.
1: What what determines both a lot of orchards in Cambridgeshire and where in Cambridgeshire you have them is that mixture of environment and transport and to some extent social structure. It's a complicated old mixture. That's what makes it fun to study, actually. And the Chivers orchards, they were very successful, presumably because of the transport links. They were. Uh, I mean, the story there is, is, is kind of sums a lot of it up, really. Um, Stephen Chivers, Chivers, have you pronounce it, he, he starts growing uh, apples on a large scale after the arrival of the railway. And, and the orchard is indeed next to the railway station. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it's just a grower to start with. Uh, but one of the places he's sending his fruit to is Bradford. And he's sending so much to Bradford that he actually sets up a distribution depot there, which is two sons, who I think uh, John and William, they're put in charge of. And they realise in the 18, early 1870s that the main buyer in Bradford is a jam manufacturer. So they go back and say to their father, um, you know, what are we doing? We can make more money making the jam ourselves. So 1873, again, next to the railway station, everything is fixed to the rail lines really. Uh, they they set up a fa- small w- sort of, well, it's just converted barn really. And then they build this huge factory which then gets extended again and they branch out into canning and all kinds of other things. It's a huge thing. And they're partly um, processing the fruit from their own orchards, which also increase in scale, but they're also drawing in produce from all the other orchards around, which increasingly, therefore, shift out of apples and, in particular, even more into plums because it's, it's the market. Yes, yeah, so what led to the decline? You get this standard line people come out with um, that it's all the fault of the European Union and 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 the flooding the market with gold and delicious, and the, you know, there's an element of truth in that. But uh, there'd been increasing competition from foreign markets, particularly from Canada, actually, right back in the early part of the 20th century, and that's intensifying. So it's foreign competition, uh, and actually, the rate of, of the decline in orchards slows slightly after we join the um, European Union. So, European Union isn't the own, and foreign competition from them isn't the only explanation, but it's part of it, largely because the common agricultural policy makes it more economic to plough orchards up and use them as, as cereal-growing land, as arable land. And that's accentuated by the fact that whereas you can increasingly through the 50s, 60s and 70s automate um, cereal farming with combine harvesters and the rest, you, you can't really do that with fruit growing. And there is an increasing problem with with getting people to work in the orchards, uh, particularly during the, the seasons of of, of, of of harvest. Um, in a sense, this is all part of a kind of globalisation of, of commodities. It just becomes cheaper growing stuff elsewhere, and the alternative ways of using land um, become more profitable. And one of them is is building. Uh, but the other thing, so it's not a rather long answer, but the other thing it seems to me is that the decline through the 60s and 70s of people cooking their own food to a significant extent led to a, a, an increasing homogenisation of what the processing industry wanted. So that, that in, encouraged them to source abroad. It also saw, sadly, a, a, a steady contraction of the number of varieties available, which had been going on already to some extent, but goes much faster through the 60s and 70s. And I often think that, that, that fruit is a bit like, like beer, except that it didn't get the reverse so in the 60s and 70s beer becomes homogenized it becomes pretty awful there's relatively few people making it but the campaign for real ale and the rest reversed that process to a large extent in a way something similar happened to our our fruit industry but it hasn't been reversed in the same way Cambridge University had orchards, I think, didn't it? The university did have orchards. Um, It had... It's not clear how common they were or how important they were uh, early on. And uh, it, it seems that many of the Cambridge colleges probably sourced their fruit in the markets like everybody else. And that becomes more true as you move into the 19th century because of pressures on space. The colleges themselves get bigger and build on their own grounds, etc. Uh, the two great exceptions to that are Girton and, and Homerton. Girton, uh, they, 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 and they're both significantly late colleges, which were then on the outskirts of the city. So there's more space. And also, I think because... I can't kind of prove this, but I think because they're women's colleges... And because they're being built at a time when, um, uh, and this is, when I say uh, built at a time, I should say Homerton is 1870s, no, 1890s, and uh, and, and Gurton is the 1870s. They're coming at a time when educated people are getting quite interested in in the heritage of, of, of fruit. And I think those things go together, the additional space, women's stuff, and, and the fact it's... Uh, Uh, it's quite late on. They have orchards. Uh, The one at Girton in particular is absolutely incredible. It's one of the best, well it probably is the best orchard in Cambridge or one of them. One of them. One of the two. Is it possible to visit it? It is if you you contact them first and ask and if you go there you will see an extraordinary uh, place. A lot of the original trees are still there so they're really old because apple trees don't make much more than 120 years normally. And it's it, like a lot of the, these institutional orchards. It's got a lot of cooking apples, brownie seedling. Um, but it's got northern greening, warner's king, norfolk beefing, blenheim orange, Bismarck. what else? Monarch, Dr. Harvey, Dumoulin seedling. I mean, it's great. There's pears as well. And and there's plums and and wonderfully uh, and showing I think that it's partly a kind of um, recreational landscape for the students even when it was first built. Uh, showing that is the fact there's a lovely cobnut walk, a walk lined with cobnuts along the northern side. It, it's yeah, as I say, it's one of the well, it's a matter of taste. One of the two best in Cambridge, I'd say. The obvious question, what's the other one? Well, I would, if, if you fancy a bit of a drive, it is in Cambridgeshire, but only just. There's a wonderful orchard at a place called Rummers Lane in uh, in Wisbitch, just south-east of Wisbitch. And and that's completely different from Girton. Girton, although the trees are old, looks like a managed orchard. The one at Rummers Lane, which was planted later in the 1920s, is now... Uh, it's not derelict, but it's, it's not cropped intensively there are wonderful permissive footpaths uh which which go through it and it's just like a kind of semi-wild wonderland full of these huge bramley's bramley trees um grow particularly vigorously and they absolutely love the fenland soils and so you've got these huge great trees masses and masses of fruit masses of wildlife it's a kind of wildlife reserve really Um, It's a different experience to Girton, but but well worth it, well worth looking at.
5: Well, that sounds really interesting. That's uh, Tom Williamson. And his book, which he co-authored with Monica Askey, was stocked by heifers, and maybe they still have it or can still get it. And it is fascinating. And as well as the history of the local orchards, there are some fantastic recipes, including for fruit leathers, which is something you don't see very often. And the title again is Orchard Recipes from Eastern England. I think I could listen to Tom Williamson all day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There's the familiar music signalling time for news from social media. Brewboard is having its sixth birthday bash in two weeks' time. Live music will be there, details will be released this week. Little Piggy in Fen Stanton has Sunday roast starting up on the 8th of October Oktoberfest is almost with us, uh, that's going to take two days, next Friday and Saturday with German beer, food and music and that's on Jesus Green and there is vegetarian food available by the way, um, Bumble and Oak, back to harvest really, that currently has in its farm shop in William, Conference Pears, Williams Bon Criteria. oh dear I've can't read my writing. But anyway, Williams Bond something, uh, Shinsila Asian pears, and Eurisha uh, Asian pears. I need to improve my writing. But anyway, lots of pears you've never heard of before, or <laughs> well, I've never heard of before, up Bushelbox Farm. <laughs>
4: And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. And we begin with Trumpington Food Hub. They need a coordinator to run the hub from October 23 till March 2024. Now, it entails being at the food hub in Trumpington Pavilion on Fridays from 9.15 until 2.15pm each week to coordinate the team's activities. Pay is for eight
5: hours a week and the rate, which is under review, is currently £12 to an hour. Uh, Finn boys are expanding their team and are looking for a chef and also weekend front of house staff. For more information or to apply, email info at dot boyscom now, there's two full-time vacancies at
4: Flourish in Hildersham, one on the vegetable team and the other on the flowers team. And info for that is available from office at flourishproduce.co.uk.
5: Hot Numbers has several posts available, including a full-time baker, a junior pizza chef and a bakery supervisor, all at its headquarters in Shepreth. a senior chef in its Trumpington Street branch, where there is also a position as assistant manager available. And you can apply via the Hot Numbers website where you can find more details.
4: Midsummer House has a vacancy for a chef de rang. Now, that's not a term we come across very often, and it's actually not a chef position at all. It's a waiter who is head of a particular section in a dining room and who reports to the maitre d', i.e. the head waiter. Midsummer House also has a vacancy for a restaurant manager, and you can get details of these posts by emailing admin at midsummerhouse.co.uk.
5: A couple of extra ones that have just come in. The Old Bicycle Shop is hiring staff, so you can go along there and find out who they want and what they want. And Barbara Ella in Chesterton Road is also hiring at the moment. But finally, the Petersfield in Sturton Street has vacancies for both front-of-house and back-of-house posts, and they'll involve evening and weekend working. Pop in to Inquire.
4: All of which brings us to the end of today's programme. And don't forget that you can catch Flavour on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We are, of course, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week.
5: And coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is The Gadget Guide with Robin Lawrence... And I wonder if they're talking, (laughs) featuring talking microwaves. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's all from us for today. We'll be back on the 7th of October with lots more food and drink news, jobs, and features. But until then, goodbye.